And welcome in, everybody. You have reached the Landry Football Podcast, and you have reached me, Chris Landry. We are a little late today. Apologize. Uh, good reason for it. Uh, trying to get some work done with regard to um, coaching search information uh, that is pertinent to a lot of my work, some of which we're going to be able to share with you, a lot of it that's going to be the basis of the show today. Uh, some of it, uh, not so much, but uh, we'll certainly get into a lot of that. That's what we got on tap. Uh, we're going to tell you about our good friends at the Daily Tip and the great job that they do, the great show that they have, and why you should be listening to that, particularly as you get ready uh, for the games each and every weekend. We're going to get into the playoff rankings as well. going to tell you about kind of the path of the teams, how we see it, how they look on film, who's most likely to do what. We don't have all the answers. It's football, for goodness sakes. We don't know what's going to happen for certain. What's the key games of the weekend? What are we looking at? Uh, What about the NFL? Do we have any teams that are standing or separating themselves in the NFL? Or is it a muddled mess mess of good teams? We're going to get into a lot of that. But as I mentioned, a lot of the focus, we're going to go through the coaching updates around the country and kind to connect the dots and tell you a little bit about where things are. As best we know and best we can tell you, we've got it all for you. A reminder, this is why we do the show live. Um, Join us um, in the chat room to ask your questions. And um, you can do that by going to LandryFootball.com. Click on um, follow Chris on Twitch, and that'll tell you um, where you can find us. And you go there and catch us on Twitch. If you want to catch us on YouTube, you can do that as well. On Facebook, that's Landry Football at both places. So uh, you can catch us live. And that's where you can answer questions in the chat room, and we can address them as we go. If you're listening to this as a podcast, we certainly – Hope that you do that. Go to LandryFootball.com. Do me a favor. Sign up for Landry Football's conference call, and that'll get you uh, all the shows, including this one. We are looking at, as the season comes to its conclusion, looking at maybe making some uh, uh, changes in terms of when we do shows and which ones we do. So we want your feedback on all of that. Um, a reminder that all the detailed film room breakdowns, um, what you're looking at at Landry football is all the detailed film room breakdowns of the games that took place this past week, the games that are coming up this week, college NFL, the news and notes section, got it all for you at LandryFootball.com. So make sure that you take advantage of the football season sale today. Um, so let's get into it, get into the coaching moves, and we will throw in uh, the questions. Uh, we'll try to mix them in through the show. We'll definitely get to them by the end of the show. So, look, it's up to you. Uh, join us, bring your questions, and, and, and we'll address them if you want to. Um, <clears throat> let's start. I'm curious where I want to start um, here. Um, let's go ahead and, and get into um, 
the most recent situation, the news of the day. Uh, and let's go from there. And so let's talk a little bit about uh, the LSU situation and what's going on there. Uh, I have mentioned for a while that, you know, they have been vetting and looking at a number of high-profile guys, but they've also vetted a lot of candidates. We've heard, if you are a member of LandryFootball.com, you know by now that the Jimbo Fisher situation was never a real thing. It was a little bit more of, hey, look, this the connection there to Scott Woodard. There was never really any legs to Jimbo wanting to leave. Um, news today. Um, Mel Tucker is very, very close to just wrapping up and putting the final details on a deal that's going to be in the 10-year, $95 million range at Michigan State. Um, $9.5 million. And happy for Mel. It's a great opportunity for Mel. Um I'm curious to see the details of the contract and if it's all fully guaranteed, I believe that it is. Um, it's a windfall for him. We've mentioned for a while that this job opening at LSU, like any other elite job, is going to make coaches rich in their current job uh, just by being a candidate. Um, there is going to be the narrative that, LSU was turned down by Mel Tucker. Um, I can tell you that they were not. Mel was very interested in the job. His agent was um, very much involved. This was not the direction that LSU was going to go. Mel has had this offer from Michigan State for some time. Um, It's been on the table. But it's getting close at least to where the same people, some of the same people that are being represented by some candidates are representing others. So a Jimmy Sexton, for example, can know that a certain candidate is one of his, two or three of his candidates are not going to get the job. So it is free reign for, you know, a, an LSU or someone to say, look, go, go get your guy, get him a better deal, whatever you – He's in the know because you have to deal with him on the guy you do want what he obviously knows who you're not going to go after. And Mel was not someone that Scott Woodard was as high on as others might have been, including the school president. I think Mel's a good coach. I think he'll do a really good job at Michigan State. He already is. I'd like to see more seasoning, more years from him doing it to get a bigger job like this. But that was the the downfall for Mel in getting this job. Um, so he wasn't getting it. Uh, Jimbo Fisher could have had this job to backtrack. If he wanted this job, that's the guy, the number one guy that Scott Woodard, who has the final say on this job, would have wanted. That wasn't going to happen. Uh, after that, <clears throat> it is a little bit of a muddled situation. The other news of the day is that Lincoln Riley has been offered a deal by LSU um, in the eight-year, $100 million range. Uh, I can tell you that that is not correct. They have not officially offered the job to Lincoln Riley or anyone else. Um, But the news of what has been floated out in the agent community 
of not every candidate, of course, but of the elite top candidates, this is what LSU's willing to pay. So the numbers are out there in the agent community. Lincoln Riley is trying to get a better deal, secure a better deal from Oklahoma. More years, more money, and more money for his assistants as they head into the SEC. Um, If things are anywhere near equivalent, his preference is to stay at Oklahoma. There is still interest in the NFL. I think he would consider that. I think so. A lot of that is, look, a preemptive strike to say this is this is a way to get more money, to get Oklahoma to the table. Now, I have learned and I have said uh, leverage deals are intriguing. There's a stop point for everyone. We assume that everybody's going to do – I expect Oklahoma or is going to make a deal, a substantive deal – for Lincoln, or at least tell them that we've got a deal that we're going to put in place for you. That's going to up what you have there, and that's the end of it. I don't think he has any real desire to leave Oklahoma to go to LSU, but I think there's interest if Oklahoma does not want to put forth the money that he is now seeking, and again, using it for leverage, I think. But using it for leverage from experience on both sides of it, you better be ready to take that job because using it for leverage for leverage sake doesn't work if you get called on on the on the carpet or you get they call you bluff. I think he's going to stay at Oklahoma. I don't get any indication that he would do anything else, but I do think that just the because the reason is there's been a lot of talk in some NFL circles that have gone to his agent. Look, hold on. Don't do that. If you're interested, we might like to talk about him here. And particularly with the success of Cliff Kingsbury, I think that's really even made Lincoln Riley's viability as an NFL coach even greater. So I do not think Lincoln Riley is leaving to go to LSU because I think Oklahoma is going to give them, give him close to what he wants if not everything he wants, and that'll be enough. If they just say, look, this is our limit and that's it, um, then I would op- that would keep that door open for the possibility of that. But the whole they've got him done, I can tell you that from the LSU side and from Lincoln's side, that is, that is not case. Offer hasn't been made. Offer hasn't been accepted. Uh, but the information is out there through the media to let it marinate and obviously that Oklahoma call them to the table and see what they can do. We'll see how it plays out, whether he stays, whether he goes, whether he stays and waits and looks at NFL offers. That's kind of where we are on it. But the numbers are pretty much, and this is why I know too, in not just checking with both sides, but I actually know where the leaks are coming from now because the numbers that are being leaked are being leaked consistently and it's coming through the agent community and people associated with them. So the media reports that they have offered, that's putting it out there to where there's plausible deniability. Let's float that out there that it's officially being offered, not been officially offered. Mel Tucker was not offered. 
Um, that hasn't been the case on those two. Um, I personally, and I've said this, and I don't mind sharing it because I've shared it with the powers that be at LSU when this process started. I don't think they have worked the Dave Aranda angle well enough. I uh, I kind of understand why, but I, I don't agree with it. I think Dave Aranda would be a great choice for a number of places. Um, I think Dave Aranda is a brilliant uh, individual, very organized, very meticulous, a great football guy that can hire well, he can delegate well, yet he's hands-on, really good at understanding defensively the concepts and the constant evolving of how to play and adjust. Um, That's very important in today's game. And then also being a good visionary for how the offense should look and what gives defenses a lot of problems. The best evaluators of offense are defensive coaches. The best evaluator of defenses are offensive coaches. And I think Dave has a good feel for both of those. Um, I think he is a very good evaluator in recruiting. I think he's very thorough. I think he's very meticulous. I think right now he is the number one candidate at USC. I think the fact that they've not been able to get to this point, and I don't know if they're going to make another run. Mike Bone is very close with Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle was obviously someone that is a person of interest in this job, but I don't know that they're going to get him interested enough to get him moving in a direction other than to where they have him now. I think Dave Aranda would be a really good fit, and I think if they didn't, they would go into kind of that that next level. Um, to wrap up or to kind of jump back a little bit, not to go back and forth, so what, where does LSU go from here if if it's not Lincoln Riley? Um, you know, I know that Lane Kiffin wants the job. There's no question. And he, again, same agent represents him, Mel Tucker. He's pushing for that job. It is not the direction that Scott Woodard wants to go. Um, in fact, I don't think it's the direction that the president wants of LSU wants to go. I, so I don't think there's much of a chance of that as the dominoes fall. We'll kind of see, um, maybe that's reconsidered, but my, my, uh, indication is that it is, it is not going to go in that direction. We, we shall see on the USC situation. The one thing I would mention, and I've mentioned this before, and I don't mean to come down too hard on any individual, but James Franklin who's been floated out for every job because he floats it out there himself. He gets his people to do it. Um, That has never been, he's never been that high on, on USC's list. Now I think there are three or four other folks that USC is interested in. If it's, if they've, they can't get a deal done with Dave Aranda, if Dave doesn't want to leave at uh, Baylor at this time, my sense is, my understanding is they're going to go through three or four other people before they get to James Franklin. They don't have them ranked that high, nor do most football people when they drill down into it. That is more of a media creation. I don't know that Dave Aranda is going to get it, but I think he'd be a great fit at USC. He'd be a great fit at Washington as well. 
Uh, I think Washington's very high on him. I think he could get that job. I think it's going to be tough for for Baylor to keep him. I don't think the timing for Dave Aranda is ideal. In fact, it's far from ideal. It's a bad timing. I think he'd like to be at Baylor for a little bit longer. That'll weigh on him. I think he'll consider staying. But how often do you get an LSU opening or a USC opening? Sometimes timing is not good, but the opportunity is perfect, and you have to take it. You know, I think the timing, too, makes it a little bit difficult to um, to make a move on a on someone. Look, I mean, Mel Tucker, I don't think Michigan State wanted to put this contract in front of him this soon. I think they'd like to see him do this for two, three years in a row and see what then then put that money in. But you might lose him. So that's kind of where things are headed there. Um, on Washington, if Dave Aranda, I think that um, the – the, the Matt Campbell discussion has come up, and I want to tie this in to with uh, Dave Aranda. One thing, and I, I, I will say this, Aranda's hasn't been long at Baylor. We know that. Matt Campbell has. Matt Campbell has been reluctant to move. He's making good money at Iowa State. The one thing that has been pondered behind the scenes is that is timing going to be something that might be more pushed up for Matt Campbell in that how does he view the Big 12 beyond Oklahoma and Texas when they go out? Does he see that as something that's going to limit the financial resources of his program because the Big 12 won't make as much money? I mean, that's a fact, but does he feel it's going to limit it? He has to make a decision there, but I don't think he's going to run away from Iowa State. I think he'd run at a good situation. I think people look at it as, A, that's a potential NFL guy. Organized, tough, well-schooled, good relationship with players, gets the most out of his team that fits an NFL pedigree. I think he'd be a good fit there, and I think the right situation, though, is what he's looking for. Would he go for another college job? Look, I think he'd be really good at a number of places. I think he can get the most out of the program. Now, is he a fit at an LSU or a USC where you need to not only coach well, but you need to recruit at an elite level? Those programs are not developmental programs. Those are programs that you that are recruiting programs that you have to develop once they get there. And that's a big difference between the two. So what is the fit there? Uh, is he a better fit perhaps at Washington in terms of it is not a developmental program, but it is more along the lines of that. It's in between the developmental programs and what we call the elite recruiting program. So I don't know that the fit in these jobs or the ideal fit for Matt. I think he has to answer that and what his willingness to do from a recruiting standpoint. If um, Aranda or Campbell are not viable options in the end for Washington, I do think Justin Wilcox is a um, definitely someone that would be would be interested in leaving Cal for a job like this. I do think that Jay Norvell, the Nevada coach, is outstanding, would be a good fit here. 
Um, if they want to go with a younger guy type, Kalen DeBoer out of Fresno State, Brett Brennan out of San Jose State would be considerations, but not on tier one. And if they went for the coordinator hires, um, I think Joe Moorhead, who's done a great job, former Mississippi State head coach, former Fordham head coach, um, might be somebody they'd consider. And Jeff Grimes, the Baylor offensive coordinator, who's a guy that Dave Aranda hired there. I don't know that they could get Kalani Sataki interested there, but that might be a possibility. He would be maybe a fallback option at USC as well. Um, I'll say this. Timing's everything again. I'm going to mention that again. I think this is a job that Brian Harson would love at Washington. I think there's connection there. I think there's a connection with Chris Peterson um, in, in the connection with the administration. I think he'd be a really good fit here, and I think he'd like this job a lot. I don't think he's willing to leave Auburn after one year to go there. I don't see that. but um, that might be interesting to see. Um, just to, I, I float that out there, not to just go into a rumor situation. I just know that, again, if we're talking about uh, a situation in a normal year, I think that'd be your guy. I think right now, I think it's maybe too complex for that to happen, but that is something that I think, um, you know, um, Brian would be interested in. Um, TCU, who's been open now for a little bit with Gary Patterson being let go. It's Sonny Dykes' job to turn down. I don't get a strong feeling that he will turn it down. I do think um, he is... You know, I would say he's probably going to take it, but but nothing's definite. And I think they're going to be patient. I think the fact that it's quiet and you hear some other names, but they're backups to Sonny. Um, Billy Napier, Jay Norvell, are, are some of the names you hear in a backup role. Uh, back out west to Washington State. I, I, I mentioned this on the Pac-12 show, but the interim head coach, Jake Dickert, is a is a, got a real shot at earning this job, particularly if the team finishes well. Uh, they play pretty well under him, and if they finish well, particularly when the Apple Cup, they've got a really good shot. Now, this is another place that you can look for Jay Norvell to get some consideration, uh, and I think Joe Moorhead uh, would as well there. I uh, don't know if he would take it or not, but that's that. And then um, Virginia Tech, which came open a couple of days ago. I do think Jamie Chadwell is someone that they have a strong interest or at least will vet closely. I know he would like that job. Uh, it's a it's a geographical fit, a guy that's done a good job getting a lot out of the program. They're a very conservative lot at Virginia Tech. I don't see the fit that other people have thrown out there with you, Freeze. Um, coach at Liberty, Virginia, I'm not casting aspersions <clears throat> on him. I thought he would have been a good fit for South Carolina. Um, 
but I, there it, there seems to be a, uh, a a kind of a glass wall that I don't I think it's frowned upon him getting an SEC job set so may I don't know that South Carolina had much interest because it never went to that but I I do think that uh, Hugh Freeze is a viable option at a bigger time program. And certainly from a pure football standpoint, recruiting in that area, you know, uh, it makes a lot of sense. I don't get the sense that that certainly would be out of character for what Virginia tech does in terms of their profile, in terms of their conservative nature. I'm not sure I see it. I think Will Healy is another guy that will be under consideration. Billy Napier, again, I think would give that strong consideration. Um, again, Billy Napier wanted the South Carolina job. Now I'm sure you've heard and read a million places because people just repeat what they hear and they have no idea what they're talking about. Billy Napier turned down South Carolina, Chris. No, he didn't. Um, he wanted the South Carolina job. South Carolina turned him down. They wanted Shane Beamer. Uh, I know that because I was involved with the university on it and I believed in Billy Napier more than I did Shane Beamer for that job. And I tried to help. Um, and I mean, I literally was on the phone that Saturday morning and got the word, you know, Hey, thanks for trying to help, but they're going, they're going with, um, with Shane Beamer. And then that's when, you know, an hour later, he basically re up with ULL again, that's how that's done. You know, you, you get, passed over and they let you know that we're going in a different direction, but not, nothing is said so that it allow you to do re up with your deal or re, you know, announce your commitment to your school and what have you. Uh, nothing, nothing against Billy, but I think Billy, that was a, he's from South Carolina, grew up around South Carolina, was very interested in South Carolina. I think he'd be very interested in this Virginia tech job more than I think he'd be interested in the TCU job. Uh, but the South Carolina a job is one that that's uh, a possibility there. Um, I don't know. Some people um, asked me today about would they consider Gary Patterson over there? Uh, I think they would at least talk to Gary. I think Barry Odom would be somebody that they might talk to if he wants to. I think Mike Alco would be interested, the Texas A&M defensive coordinator was once the um, he's from the Jersey area and coached at Penn, but he spent a little time at Wake Forest. I think that they're not every type of job that he leave for as a head job. I think he's going to be selective, but this one might interest him as well. I don't know how Dave Clawson sees this job. I think Dave has got a good situation at Wake Forest, and this is another case of he makes good money. He's happy where he's at. Uh, he's obviously got a good team. You're not going to win consistently there. And he's doing a better job at Wake than Justin did at Virginia Tech. So why would you leave? It's a lateral move. I do think that there's a, a little bit more going for Virginia Tech as the ability to recruit a different type of player, yet it's still got a developmental program type um, element to it. So, you know, I think he's got some level of security at Wake that um but i think there's certain levels of security at virginia tech i know they're firing justin but they've been pretty patient as well i don't know what uh, dave will um think of this 
but I think you'll certainly uh, at least give it consideration. That's the latest uh, there on uh, the searches. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I think that's uh, kind of where we're going to keep you up to date on Landry football. Um, I'm going to get to your questions here in just a second. But I want to tell you about my good friends at the Daily Tip. If you're into sports betting, you know just how quickly the lines can change. And when you've got a lot riding on these odds, it pays to stay ahead of the curve. So before placing your bets, listen to the Daily Tip presented by MD, BetMGM for the best betting analysis and information. They're fun, they're informative, and they're very helpful. A lot can change between last night's game and today's odds. The Daily Tip Gives you an early look at all the angles. Host Michael Jenkins and Chelsea Messinger break down the big takeaways and make sure that you know everything you need to bet smarter. With featured guests like bookmakers, Odyssey insiders, BetMGM experts, you've always got a fresh take on the action. Your friends will be wondering what you know that they don't. Not that you have to tell them where you heard it. Hey, as much fun as it is to bet on the game, it's even more fun when you've got the inside scoop. Ready to bet with an edge? I know you are, I am. And that's why I tune into the Daily Tip presented by BetMGM. Listen weekdays at 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern on Odyssey, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. I can't recommend these folks higher. They do just a phenomenal job. Again, listen weekdays, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern on Odyssey, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. The Daily Tip presented by BetMGM. Let's get to some of your questions, some of your thoughts um, in the mailbag, and then we'll get into some of the playoff rankings discussions here. Um, Jason, uh, uh, hey, Jason, how are you? No chance of Chris Peterson at LSU. Don't think Chris wants to coach. I don't think there's anything there. Don't know that that's a good fit, uh, even if it uh, were. Um, Rich Coates says, Florida does decide to move on from Dan Mullen at the end of the season. Who could Florida look at as far as finding the next head coach? Should Florida decide to move on from Dan Mullen? Rich, I think that's a complicated issue, and I'm not avoiding it, and it is something that I I have addressed. I'll address it again. I address it on the SEC show. I think what they're going to have to decide after the next two games, and I think those games are important, that Dan's going to have to sit down with Scott Strickland, powers it be, on how he's going to fix this. I think he's going to have to be committed. He's going to have to have the answers, and they're going to have to be a complete buy-in from everybody. If there's not, then I think there could be an exit strategy and they would move on. I don't think they're going to fire him. I think there'd be a mutual parting to save face and make the money work. Um if that's the direction that it goes, I can't, I don't know how the meeting's going to go. I know Dan has had, you know, some issues at times with egos and how he wants to do it. I think if it comes off that way, then I think there's probably going to be as parting of the ways. I think if he's willing to look at things and take a hard look and look in the mirror and look at how he's going to change things, I think he's going to get another year to fix it and make some changes. If he looks at it and says, look, I don't want to really do this. And I think I'm, going to be in bad a bad way next year, and I can find a way through his agent to get the money to be along the lines of what he wants, and he has he can find, in conjunction with that, a soft landing spot, 
in the NFL, I think there's an exit strategy that can be worked out, but it would require a lot of hoops to get it get it done. So let's see how that plays out. And um, I, I don't know. Let's go there to answer your question. Um, I do think Lane Kiffin would be a real interesting fit there with his ability offensively, with the the desire for the Florida folks to have not only to win for Florida folks, it's about winning, but also winning stylistically with the offense. That's certainly somebody that would uh, fit the the profile of what they're looking for in terms of an offensive coach. You know, what does Scott think of, of Lane and that? I, I don't know. So uh, that's some initial thoughts from a sample size. How well has Panay Sewell played for, Considering you were high, he has been outstanding. Uh, he's done real, not without any issues, um, of course, as a young guy, but he's played very, very well. Jeffrey Parrott says, where do you see Jeff Lebby, the Ole Miss offensive coordinator, after this season? Also, Bill O'Brien would do good at Virginia Tech. Um, Jeff Lebby, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Look, we're going to see the domino effects of jobs, okay? So, Right now, there's not a job that's open that Jeff would be a fit for. I mean, you know, I don't, I wouldn't go to FIU or, you know, UMass or Akron or anything like that. So, and he's certainly not someone that would be, you would hire at one of the open jobs that we've talked about, you know, Virginia Tech or what have you. So we're going to have to wait and see where some of these openings and some of the domino effects, I think they're, He's getting closer to getting one. Like, for example, I thought he fit the profile of someone that Texas Tech might look at. And he did. But, you know, obviously, um, you know, they're, they're going with Joey uh, McGuire. And, and, and I think that's a, a understandable move for them. But Jeff kind of fits that profile. That's about you know, where he could get. I thought he might be a fit at UCF, you know, last year. I thought he would have been a better fit than Gus, I, myself, but that's that. Bill O'Brien, I think Bill O'Brien will be back at Alabama next year more than likely, unless they part the ways. I um, I don't think that's what Virginia Tech is looking for at all. You mentioned a good fit at Virginia Tech. Really not. Knowing Bill, knowing the Virginia Tech administration, um, I do not see that that is a possibility. Um, where do you see Sam Howell um, out of North Carolina at the next level? I think he's a little too inconsistent at this point, but he's got playmaking ability. He does have some Baker Mayfield in him. That's probably the ceiling of what he is, but he's got to refine his game a little bit more. Which of these good teams should be most concerned from last week's poor performances? The Bucks, the Rams, the Browns, the Ravens, or the Chargers? Um, I think the, um, there's more than one. I think the Rams are a concern for me. I don't think for what people think they are, that they're making the move that's going to put them over the top to win the Super Bowl. I don't see them as a Super Bowl team right now. I would put them number one. I think the Browns are, um, 
I think there's still some issues. I still think they run the football well and they play good defense, but I'd have some concerns if I were them. I don't like the way the Chargers are playing at the line of scrimmage or, you know, I just I thought they didn't – I thought they've struggled here the last few weeks. So I'd probably go those three in that order. I mean, the Bucks are not playing well. There's got to be concerns there too, but I think they can figure some things out. I think the Ravens – to me, the Ravens are what they are. They're going to be limited if they get behind in games at the pass game, but they can run the football. Um, Kev also says, I'm starting to think that it's a fallacy for most NFL teams to not utilize a fullback a decent percentage of the time. Too many teams are running empty sets and one back formation when it's unnecessary. Well, the, the, the issue with fullbacks is they're not many in college. They're when you think about all the schools that play in college, they, they're not, they're less fullbacks there. I mean, and look at all the people, they just, there's no fullbacks. So, what you have to have is a big running back or a tight, a shorter tight end. That's a move H back type of guy that you can make into a fullback or a tight end H back type of guy that you can make into a fullback or a big running back. That's also a good blocker that you can make into a fullback. Because I think in today's game, which you don't want um, when, when you're talking about, fullbacks you you have to have a fullback that can catch the football i'm not quite sure what you're saying too many teams are running empty sets and one back formations when it's unnecessary i'm not quite sure what you're asking or following there um the reason why they're one back sets or empty sets is because they're trying to get multiple guys out on routes and they're trying to get the defense to play smaller so what you're trying to do is create space and numbers. You've got less guys to block. So you don't need a fullback for that. If your fullback can't be a good receiver out of the backfield, then he doesn't have a whole lot of value unless he is an absolute dynamo on special teams and maybe can be as, you know, here's the point. You can train a backup guard to be a fullback on short yardage and goal line. If that's all you want is to be a lead blocker, you got a guard that can do that better than any fullback. So you don't need a roster spot for a fullback unless that fullback can help you in the passing game, meaning you want to run some two-back sets. But you got a wheel route that you've got the back, you've got the blitz pickup, you've got either back, then then you've got something. So, But to have a pureless fullback as you think of a fullback, that's a wasted roster spot because you can get a backup fullback to do that role. But I am with you. If you can have a child call Yusek type of guy, those guys can be very effective because of their ability. Uh, hey, block pretty well, but block on the move, but more important and catch the ball out of the backfield and you have to respect the run. So I think that's, um, that's how I would look at it. Some great thoughts, some great questions that uh, Kev and Rich and Jeff um, and uh, Jason there. Uh, we can get to some more if you got them before we get uh, done. going to talk a little bit about the playoff rankings. And, folks, I'm going to tell you, I, there are a million, a myriad of possibilities. We know that. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen. But let's take a gander at how things could happen. 
and we don't have time to go through every scenario. Certainly, Georgia's in good position. Georgia is going to get in even if they lose the conference championship game. So they're in great position, provided they don't lose Charleston Southern or Georgia Tech. Don't laugh. Of course, they're not going to. But they win that. They're good to get in. Oregon certainly would get in and be one of the four. They control their fate as well. But that's a tough ask. They've got to beat Utah twice. uh, Ohio State is in if they win. They've got Michigan State and Michigan in back-to-back and a Big Ten championship game if they navigate those two weeks. And I think they will. They and they can control their fate. Those three teams, they win and they're in. And in Georgia's case, they win the next two weeks and they're in even if they lose the following week. So they're in the position to kind of control their fate. But let's go through some of those scenarios. And again, if this, if that, we can go through scenarios all we want. To me, it's not just who wins and who loses, but how they look, that matters a lot. But if Ohio State does beat Michigan State and Michigan, that takes out those two. I don't think there is a team in the Big Ten that is going to have a chance to make the playoffs other than Ohio State. I do not think an ACC team, even if it's Wake Forest, and Wake Forest could very easily go down to Clemson this week. I think there's a good possibility of that. I don't think they make it. So I think the ACC is out of it. I think the second team in the Big Ten is a no-go. I think if Oregon, as I said, I think it's going to be tough for them to beat Utah twice. That could easily knock them out. Uh, And if it does, look at what that would do, potentially. You're looking at Georgia. You're looking at Ohio State. Two-loss Oregon, in my mind, would be out. You've got the Big Ten teams, not named Ohio State, out. Oklahoma State needs to enter the picture if they win out and win the Big 12 title. In the same light, Oklahoma, as bad as they look, could as well. But they would have to completely flip it around and look completely opposite of the way they've looked thus far because they have moved down for a reason. They lost to Baylor, yes, but they were down at eight or nine as an unbeaten team. Oklahoma State is where Oklahoma was with one loss. And Oklahoma was there in the same vicinity ranking-wise as an unbeaten Oklahoma State could enter the pitcher. You could throw them in the mix. But there is a good chance that they lose one. What I think is interesting is we are eliminating the potential of two lost teams. When I say if things go the way they very likely could go, we're going to have to start looking at two lost teams because that's all we're going to have. I do not think Notre Dame at eight would move high enough to get into four and move high enough. Now, let's go into some scenarios. We know if Alabama beats Georgia, they get in as well. What if Alabama plays Georgia very closely to the point where it clearly looks like they're one of the two best teams because Georgia's beating everybody like a drum, and if Alabama plays them close, you think, hmm, now, are they going to get in over 
an unbeaten Cincinnati? Probably not. Are they better than Cincinnati? Yeah, I think they are. Are they? But if they get dominated, then that's a different story. If they play Georgia close, Cincinnati would get in. If Oregon loses at least once to Utah, they're out. So you've got Georgia, you've got Ohio State, you've got Cincinnati in. Then you're looking at a two-loss Alabama team that's played Georgia very closely. Because if they don't play them closely, then it's not even a discussion. And trying to match them up against a Notre Dame team, um, I'm not sure that's a good look for Notre Dame. You'd have to match them up against an Oklahoma State team. Again, what if they get in Oklahoma get bloodied and the Big 12 gets knocked out? Then you'd have the Pac-12, the Big 12, and the AC getting knocked out, ACC getting knocked out. Then all you got is the SEC and one Big 10 team in Cincinnati. I guess what I'm saying is don't count out Alabama, but it would require them to play Georgia almost to a standstill. And I'm not sure that puts them in. I'm just saying that I think a close loss would not eliminate them if some of these other things take place that I think very likely could happen. Oregon wins out. Ohio State wins out. Georgia wins out. um, Cincinnati wins out. And by the way, Cincinnati could lose. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities still. Going to be interesting to see. Finishing up, Kev brought up an NFL topic about who looks good or, you know, who should be in more concern. I, as I look and look at kind of my film grades, look in the AFC and we're heading into Thanksgiving week. And this is kind of where we start to see a true feel for the stretch run. We've got one extra game with 17 on the schedule this year. There's no doubt if you're just ranking them a la college football style, that Tennessee would be, number one, but you still look at them and say, are they going to be as whole, as sound as they are with Derrick Henry? Well, of course not. Baltimore looks flawed. Buffalo needs to get her act together. They don't look as sound as they need to. Um, Pittsburgh's not good enough. The Chiefs playing better, but play better in a good matchup with them against the Raiders, but not ready to say they figured it out. I mean, the Patriots playing as good as anybody in the AFC right now. Uh, the Chargers got concerned. I don't know what to make of the AFC. I don't think there's a there's going to be a clear favorite because that's what the seeding is for, but I don't think there's a true clear favorite on film to this point. Let's see who establishes themselves Right now, getting seven teams is going to be tough, and getting one to stand out is even tougher. In the NFC, there is less cloud at the top, but yet still some cloud. I would say right now that Green Bay looks to be as complete as any. They're playing well on defense, and they certainly, when when Aaron Rodgers is available, they're in good shape. The Cardinals, with Kyler Murray back, are certainly a threat. You know, I think Dallas is fine. They had the obviously the bad week and now they flipped it around. I think they're good. I think those are three good teams that can play very well. As I said, I've got concerns about the Rams, 
but against passing teams, they're better because their pass rush can tee off. I wouldn't rule out the Bucks and Tom Brady at all. I think that they can get it together. So I think you've got four teams, and if you want to throw in the Rams as the fifth, those are five teams that could play, that I could see they're all good and they're all capable. And quite frankly, I kind of like their chances, um, you know, in terms of if I were to compare them against the uh, – the AFC. So that's kind of how I, I see it right now. And I don't, it's not real definitive. We've got a saying in the NFL, it's, it's, it's really about positioning yourself around Thanksgiving and it's what happens from Thanksgiving on that really kind of determines uh, the way Kev um, runs it out with Dubyron Leftwich, the offense coordinator of the Bucks, and Tom Brady sometimes get too cute with the offense. I think what they try to do a lot is they really try to match what the opponent has given them. And I think sometimes their protections don't hold up. I think sometimes they're not able to run the football as much. I think sometimes it puts them in harm's way because look, if they don't have the sound protection, then that's something that's going to be a real problem. And, you know, Brady gets the ball out quickly, but remember you can't get the ball downfield as much and make as many chunk plays. If the protection doesn't hold up, the ball may come out quick. It may go to checkdowns, but that's a little bit easier to defend um, than going deep. So I, I, um, I think the biggest issue that I'm seeing is that the defense is not holding up. They're not playing that well. And that's something that I thought that they were really good down the stretch. If you look down the stretch of Tampa last year, they played really good defense and they ran the football well. And yes, Brady made the difference. But if they don't do those two things well, run the football and play good defense, Brady won't just carry him on his shoulder again. Part of it is he's got to do things to help them, get them in the right play more consistently. They've got to play better around them, the protection, the running game. If they do that, the defense will play better, and I think they're right in the mix with everybody else. Again, no one's running away with it in the NFC. It's not like you better go catch them. I think they're right in the mix. Now, seating-wise, you better be careful with three losses. You drop another game or two, then you're you're getting out of anything, you know, playing on the road, which they had to do last year anyway, coming out of the wild card. But yeah, no, I think that they um they've got some work to do there. Hey, great show, everybody. Appreciate Kev joining us always with his NFL thoughts and Rich Coats and uh Jeff, man, great heaven, Jeff, and uh Jason joining us as well. We'll keep you up to date on everything going. Um on LandryFootball.com, the coaching searches, the film room breakdowns. We got it all for you. So make sure that you check that out. Um, also a reminder to, to get LandryFootball.com to get all the breakdowns, take advantage of the football season sale, sign up for Landry football's conference call. Will you, uh, we want to have you involved and be involved in what we're doing here going forward. So appreciate everybody joining us. Check out our great friends over at the daily tip presented by bet MGM. Look them up. Look them up. 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern. If you want to get a good read on betting tips, that's where you want to go. 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern on Odyssey, Spotify, your favorite podcast app. That's the Daily Tip presented by BetMGM. Hey, uh, we'll be back. What do we have tomorrow? Tomorrow is Thursday. Yeah, we'll have a live taping at 5 p.m. Central of SEC football and beyond. We'll break down the games of the weekend, give you further updates on the coaching searches, not just around the SEC, but around the country. We'll have it all for you there. We'll have it at Landry Football. We'll see you there. We'll see you here. 
Thank you for joining us. Have a great evening, everybody.